Uh, is is he gone? Think so. Yes, the boss is out. Let's talk about stuff he doesn't like. Strategy time. Today the music arcade. Woo! Hello everyone and welcome to the Music Arcade. My name is Eddie and I am usually not your main host. But as always, I do have with me... Tyrannical. That's me. Hi. Hello. How are you doing? Oh boy. And today is a rare Galen-less episode. So the boss is out and we're talking yeah. about stuff the boss doesn't want to talk about. Yeah, I think he's going at... His nation's gender reveal party or something? Instructional unclear. Something something red and blue color, something something fire. Yeah. In any case, we're talking about strategy games, specifically those of the real-time kind. Yes. Gillen tends to not be a huge fan of those, but we do have a lot to talk about. Honestly, I don't remember him having expressed any antagonistic view towards them. Hi, biker dude. I hear you. Yeah, I don't know if he straight up dislikes the genre or if he doesn't just feel like playing it. Maybe it just doesn't catch his attention very, very I well. I mean, either case. That's okay. We established that clearly. I mean, we have done an episode based entirely on a game that I don't play, which was the two live concerts for Final Fantasy XIV, so people don't liking games is fine. So you don't like FF14 or you just haven't played? See, that's the problem with words and expressing them correctly. You gotta be precise, man. Hello everyone, welcome to the Language Arcade Podcast. Your words, anyway, not mine. Let's get started to our discussion and your first one up. Alright, so, to begin with something that's emblematic of the genre and representative of uh, what it stands for as a whole, I decided to go with Kesson 2 which is a console-only PS2 real-time strategy game based on the romance of the Three Kingdoms story and made by Koei, the Dynasty Warriors guys. I mean, aren't ORTS games like that? No. No, they're not. Oh, well, I have a very wrong impression of the genre then. Indeed. But this one stands out... well. It primarily stands out by its completely over-the-top cutscenes and uh, weird story bits and very liberal reinterpretation of uh, the kind of myths it's based on. But it has behind that a real-time strategy-like gameplay where instead of moving individual units, you basically... uh, uh, ordering battalions to follow certain roads, and uh, when they encounter enemies, they can ambush them. Your characters that are in the battalions can use abilities ranging from 
shouting really loudly to inspire your people, all the way to levitating 50 meters above ground and throwing giant fireballs in a line. So, you know, historical stuff. Realism. Exactly. Uh, now, in case that wasn't obvious enough, I'm being very cheeky there. And that's important because of the relationship between the game Stone and its music. So, in another move that Galen has his back turned, let's do things he wouldn't necessarily approve of, uh, Dynasty Warriors is known for its very rock tracks. It has a very distinct kind of soundtrack. You can listen to any track in, this, in isolation, pretty much, and say to yourself, yep, there's the guitar I recognize, that's a Dynasty Warriors track. So, what did you think of the electric guitars in these tracks? Sorry, that another biker dude. Uh, I I felt like this song was this piece was a bit cheesier, let's say, than most RTS soundtracks I've heard in the past. Uh, it's very pompous, let's say. Reminds yes. me a lot of anime soundtracks. Uh, I wouldn't go to anime length, but. I would agree about the pump and the fact that it aims to essentially imprint an epic feeling. I think that's the main words that stands out from that. There is a conflict not between like 20 dudes, but uh, each, uh, each battalion can rank up to 12,000, 13,000 people, and you can control like 15 at once. To have over 100,000 people on the battlefield juking it out. And it's that kind of scale, that kind of, that kind of scale, that kind of grandeur that this kind of track, the tracks that are in the game aim to evoke, along with, with uh, keeping it with uh, the setting, of course, which is ancient China. Honestly, those, those numbers are kind of impressive for a console strategy game because even on PC it tends to cap oh, at 200 or 300 oh, units. Don't worry, they weren't all uh, visible at the same time. Far from it. They cheated a lot. But the numbers are there. Basically, each encounter is its own mini battlefield in isolation, and you control and you give orders to your entire set of battalions. But once you zoom in on one of them, you control one of the generals there directly to do things like hit people with your stick or the aforementioned fireball. Because gaming. Oh. Historical game. Thank you very much. Yeah, the the soundtrack. Uh, going back to to the music, it definitely brings up that uh, sense of scale and and the the sound itself. Mainly the the melody at, at times does remind me specifically of uh, Chinese uh, 
uh, culture and Chinese music, despite being a symphonic soundtrack. Yeah, does definitely does a, a good job at at showcasing the what the game is about to me. Good. Well then, shall we move on to actually more traditional kind of real-time strategy game? Uh, you say traditional, but it actually I'd say that the next game is a bit a bit of a, a middle ground. Uh, we're talking about Rise of Nations next, and Rise of Nations actually has you uh, creating uh, platoons of units. Usually, really smaller groups three to five at a time so it also cheats the the population limit a little bit and has some yeah some similar elements. to down of war yeah and it has it has some some elements uh reminiscent of more turn-based games like it is in real time but you have a resource cap and you have um that's a most limit. rts i mean yeah most games uh, uh, do have a, a cap in uh, some sense, but Rise of Nations has a cap on how many resources you can get at one point. Uh, so that's uh, also have South, yes. But the limit isn't necessarily uh, defined by how many people you have gathering. It's defined by your tech level, and you have a limited amount of people on each uh, spot as well. Anyway, it, it kind of your resources come more as a trickle rather than people grabbing and giving you those resources, like in Age of Empires or Warcraft. Yeah, like so, that, all you're saying so far is making me feel of uh, like the night elves uh, in uh, Warcraft Three. Uh, kinda like that, but the resources they don't deplete; they stay on the map. Like resources in a civilization game, except it's in real time rather than turn based. So, like more have... of a specific amount of control points to, to well, gain control. You can actually theoretically put your base wherever you want, but you need to have it. Uh, a city near some resources to gather those resources. Anyway, it's complicated and basically amounts to it plays somewhere in between Age of Empires and Civilization, more or less. Uh, and you reflect, think so? Uh, it kind of it's kind of reflected in the soundtrack and the the general aesthetic of the game. Uh, it's sort of inspired by Empire Earth, and that you go from the Stone Age all the way to the near future, all that sort of stuff. And yeah. the soundtrack kinda has to tell the story of civilizations throughout the ages, um, including talking about them at points in time where they didn't exist, those societies didn't exist. Well, not in this form, anyway. Yeah, not in a, a recognizable uh, form, at least. And the first yeah, track... the, the kind of things that humankind, uh, which is another 4X game, not a real-time strategy game, but it circles around it by essentially 
having you change the name and properties of your civilization at each new era. So like I'm you start very with the, interesting that game. Yeah, so like you start with the Nubians and then once you get out of uh, the classic age, suddenly you are the Franks. Yeah, that is that is definitely a game that is on my my watch yeah, list. It's interesting. I it lets check you that one out. have some freedom in writing your civilization story. It's also not in Rise of Nation. Sorry, that got at the end. What did you say? I was saying that it wasn't the game we were talking about. To give it back to you. Yeah, we we kind of have a a good time going off topic, don't we? Um, in any case, the the first track uh, I want to bring up is one of the few tracks. There's a number of them that kind of seem to take a specific nation and try to talk about their entire history in a five minute or less track and sorry biker dude again and this one is a track called the russian which as you might imagine is for the german sort of, of course of course germans uh yeah, wow. yeah. I, I find this track really neat as it starts with very folky uh, Russian sounds. I mean, the composer, as far as I can tell, is American, so I don't know how sincere to the folk traditions of Russia he is, but he uses some folk instruments at the start, and then it goes into yeah, another Yeah, there were some. Bit. Basically, the strings felt more like a balalaika than anything else to me. Yeah. I don't know if they are the actual instruments or just. Some sort of like I think but they are. These, I mean, the sonorities are close enough that it clearly, uh, at the very least, an intention of Balalaika. Yeah, Incidentally, intention of Balalaika, my favorite Ben and Jerry's ice cream flavor. God, Gillen's gonna kill us when he's he edits this. Uh, but yeah, the. The piece moves between the folkier bits and some orchestral uh, bits. Basically, two orchestral uh, moments in in this piece. The first, at least to me, maybe I'm biased because I know sort of the broad strokes of Russian history. The, the first bit kind of plays to me more like uh, the as if it's talking about the rise of the czars and the the Russian. Empire and that sort of stuff. While the second bit with more brass kind of feels to me a bit more intimidating. If it's talking about the USSR, uh, so I think I think it's uh, remarkable how well it invokes Russian history to me when I'm listening to this track. Now I have to admit, uh, part of the descriptors you used um, kind of cut my attention a little because you mentioned that the intimidating part seems to intimate uh, uh, Soviet rising. But if it's their theme, I don't think it would correspond to intimidating ominous sounds to them. 
Like, the boss doesn't hear the boss music constantly. It's only in the struggle with a foe that it raises up. So do you I think it's a matter of ethnocentrism? Or is it more that... Uh, that um, I think it's there's... more thematic. I think it's more that tries to showcase the militarization of the USSR versus the... Uh, you know, the lack, lack of tanks beforehand, the lack of huge uh, machines of war. Uh, I might be wrong, though. I'm, it's just my interpretation. Maybe I am uh, reading too much of an intimidating sound here because of my preconceived uh, ideas. And maybe the composer did also have some preconceived ideas and, and added them to, to the track. But either way, I think it, it does a good job at Basically, telling a story of a nation in a song without lyrics. It certainly captures the the identity of the nation, uh, even if I can't tell with one hundred percent certainty whether that identity is being uh, true to form. I don't know if those folky beats are how Russians would play those those instruments. To me, from a Western country, it's close enough. It feels Russian to me. Uh, it feels uh, like it really grabs that that faction's identity identity and really uh, sets it uh, in stone almost. And in fact, you also wanted to bring up a track that really showcases the identity of the faction in question. Indeed. So, I'm going to start a thread, a train of thought that I'm going to return back to every now and then. Uh, and it starts with one of the first RTS I played, which is none other than Warcraft 2. Which was also when Blizzard musically, don't at me, and uh, in it, uh, what happens is that they focus still on the main conflict between the orcs and the humans. It doesn't have literally orcs versus humans in the title because that was the title of the first game, but it's still very much a, a story of orcs versus humans. And uh, this one is uh, a track on the human faction because the music tracks were segregated. So that essentially, if you played human, you had an OST. If you played orc, you had a different OST. And I think that it really helps uh, drive uh, each of the faction's identity. The oak tracks have a more of a lot of drums kind of feel very warlike. They're both very warlike. It's a story of war. Uh, but uh, one has a lot of drums going boom, 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 boom. While the other, the human faction, uh, tries to uh, do something that they're still struggling with to this day, I think. 
which is to not sound too much like just the default faction or the basic faction, even though there are humans, which is also what we have. Although I haven't seen a picture of you that uh, are live, that uh, so I still I'm not saying you are dog, but on the internet nobody knows if you are dog. I swear I am not a robot. I wasn't talking about robot. Why are you? Because I'm not a robot. Yeah, anyway. Back to Warcraft. I think uh, something interesting with uh, the soundtrack is that to this day, every time Blizzard wants to showcase the Horde and the Alliance, they kind of go back to the themes from Warcraft 2. Uh, the Horde has a lot of themes. The Horde has a lot of drums to this day, every time, every oh. time. Drums and, and grunts. And the Alliance has a lot of horns. Uh, and I mean a well, lot of horns. Well, drums are so emblematic of part of the texture of the orc side of things that uh, one of the units in Warcraft 3, the Color Rider, was a drummer wannabe. It wouldn't be a trumpeteer, because trumpets are a human thing in this kind of uh, situation in the context of this game. Humans go oh. with big old horns going because they like their glory way too much and they're all filthy glory seekers but are thirsty for all of that sweet, sweet white. Every time I think of horns in, in Warcraft, uh, ever since I've played uh, the Battle for Azeroth expansion to uh, WoW... My sympathies? Uh, I know we've dropped the game way earlier, so you won't know what I'm talking about. But no, not way earlier. That was World of Azeroth, so that was just the expansion before. Uh, two expansions before. Basically, there was World of Azeroth, Legion, Battle for Azeroth. Uh, well, yeah, Warlords of Draenor, you're thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Battle uh, for Azeroth, uh, it kind of became a, a running gag among fans because one of the new zones were, one of the new zones to explore was for the Alliance, essentially, Utiros, which hadn't been seen since Warcraft 2, incidentally. Rather, part of it was in Warcraft 3, but yeah. mostly its identity was in Warcraft 2. But most of the island was zones where both factions could have some quests, but smack in the middle of the island was a huge city, and the theme of that city had huge, loud horns right at the start of the track. And often you would uh, quest around the city, but you would end up entering the zone that is marked as being part of the city. So we would be like, oh, this ambient track. I am in an area with wind fields. Things are peaceful. Things are lovely. And blah, horn. Everyone hated that transition. It was horrendous, but nothing showcases the Alliance better than blaring horns at your face all the time. What we mean to say is that humans are horny. Your words, not mine. I think Alien is cutting that. 
He's Galen Kestlast. He's a cult. <clears throat> anyway. Shots fired. Uh, and that's why you watch live. Uh, so, all jesting aside. Uh, yeah, basically, uh, it's part of what made the human identity at the time and the alliance identity eventually. But there were still allied people like the dwarves, I think, and the humans and the high elves were part of uh, this human faction. And uh, yeah, they're all like, we're going to do the good guy things by doing good guy murder things. Porn. Am I right? And that's, I mean, when you play them, you have these feelings. It's like you have the aesthetics that is uh, um, very much centered on stones versus woods and bones. You have uh, all of these elements that help cement the identity of the faction you're playing in. in you're playing so that even if you are eyes closed, even if you're just watching a screenshot, no matter what you're doing, you know where you are on this side of that conflict. Because the conflict, even to this day in World of Warcraft, is still an integral part of what drives the game even if i kind of hate that it's part of wow to this day very much so but that's a question that could go way too deep so i'm going to completely put it aside and ask you to talk about the fantasy country of brazil so yeah, Brazil, we're going back to Rise of Nations now. Uh, it's another, another of those tracks because I just love the soundtrack. Uh, yes, I've noticed that. I hope you didn't see my comment on one of those videos I sent you. I, I was no. the top comment on the composer's page. Please, I have self-respect. I don't watch YouTube comments. Good. Uh, anyway, it's a uh, Rise of Nations theme for Brazil, even though Brazil isn't a playable faction in that game. But it is a playable area, I suppose you could say. So basically, anyway. you can play other nations fighting on Brazilian grounds. Pretty much, you can play as the colonizers. Okay. Let's just let that sink in a little bit. Oh, anyway, uh, oh, it's sunking, baby, it's sunking all the way. I'm talking to an European. This isn't gonna end well. Uh, well, the track is it's weird. I would say uh, my feelings about this one are a bit weird. Uh, it's a nice track. I like the sounds. It, okay, uh, thank you. Next. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, the good thing about it, the uh, well. One of the big good things about it is that it doesn't just focus on the samba and bossa nova like a lot of people would if they were to write a song about Brazil. Yeah. Which most people just do something bossa nova like and call it a day. 
this one goes more for the indigenous peoples uh most of the i'd say they're trying to uh bring up the aesthetics of the uh, tupi tribe what i need tribe yeah in general uh when i listened to this track i didn't get the whole uh samba marimba kind of sounds it was it didn't sound like the common perception of brazil so much as a track that plays in the amazon forest pretty much for most of it there's that little bit with the orchestra that i guess is supposed to represent the portuguese showing up or something uh again this is one of those tracks from the soundtrack that seem to want to tell the story of the country uh like the russian before and some other uh, a few other tracks i kind of have one gripe with this one though uh focuses so much on the indigenous peoples and the amazon the forest uh which is warranted those were the main peoples who were in brazil before the portuguese came but then i saw comments of people saying oh it's a mysterious mysterious soundtrack for a mysterious nation in the jungle and whatnot and i'm like as a brazilian that's not how we would describe ourselves not mysterious peoples of the jungle and i don't think the natives would say that either about themselves they just happen to live in the jungle so yeah that's uh, a bit awkward so we had thought of it Sorry, I couldn't hear you over the sound of uh, my freshly baked baguette. Yeah. Damn Europeans. <laughs> I win again. Battle of stereotypes. What, what was your impression of the track? Because I, I saw a lot of people that I assume to be Americans talking about, you know, the exotic culture from deep in the jungle and whatnot that i want to know what, what your opinion was well i didn't get that much of an exoticism but very much a sense of adventure uh part of the unknown because of the woodsy uh, types of sounds uh, but as i said spoke the amazonian forest suppose that's fair enough i think the, the game would have been much more awkward if this track was the theme track to a playable brazil civiliza uh, brazilian civilization yes because then, then we'd miss on the whole aspect of progression and industrialization that uh, tracks like the russian track have and tracks like the next one has actually um, the next one I, I want to bring up is from the expansion pack uh, Thrones and Patriots uh, the song is called Rockets uh, if to I be clear correctly, the expansion pack of the very same game yes the expansion pack to Rise of Nations um, and if I recall correctly this track tends to play as soon as you uh, either enter into the Age of Discovery or uh, sorry and you either enter into the industrial age or maybe it's the modern age 
something like that. Even for the name, I'm leaning towards modern. I'm a bit divisive because based on the name Rockets, you would think modern, but the feeling I get is more uh, industrial age because it kind of gives me a feeling of industry rising with the horns and uh, the general progression of the track. Kind of the picture I get uh, tends to be of uh, you know a city sprawl increasing in size. And then the militarization coming with it once the the drums kick in. So I suppose it could be either way. Yeah, I'm going to have to disagree on you because uh, as far as I'm concerned, the sounds of industrialization, uh, which I've extensively looked into for making a soundtrack to uh, Satisfactory, um, way more based on either imitation of factory sounds, like uh, maybe some per percussions with a bit of a brass-like feeling, like some sorts of bells on the leg going cling, cling, cling. That's for me, along with maybe even some outright theme sound. Helping to go for uh, some, adding some rhythm to it. That to me are the sounds of uh, industrial era. While this is more of uh, an aspiration to a new age of enlightenment uh, that would fit better a uh, modern era without taking from the uh, actual existing style of this era, like. Uh, uh, jazz and foxtrot and whatnot, which could also I, be another angle. I think that's actually part of what I feel from this. It's not that it's the industry itself, but it's the process of a society being uh, industrialized and. Yeah, but Growing, as far as basically. I'm concerned, uh, I mean, maybe that's just a change in uh, emotion and feels at this point, because you say to me the feeling of a society being industrialized, and I'm not picturing happy things. I'm picturing thousands of factory workers being parked in unsafe conditions, and walk to the bone for the sake of their uh, bosses, which admittedly could also be the modern era. Uh, but I'm not really getting the this march towards glory that uh, this track reflects. This aspiration to go higher, eventually reaching outer space. Rockets, you know? I mean, to be fair, I am not very positive about industrializ industrialization process either. I think the entire thing was a mess and screwed up way too many people. But yeah, I, you screwed up people from the 1870s. Uh, Get called we keep, out. We keep screwing things up. But uh, it's more that it, it kind of evokes to me the image of, you know, those huge metal chimneys showing up 
uh, as if they are grow sprouting from the ground or something. That's basically what I get. I think it's helped by the fact that uh, when you play the game, at least to me, uh, for me rather, this track tends to play exactly at the point where I enter a new age in the game. Mm -hmm. So I kind of imagine the city growing because the city does change aesthetics as you uh, change ages, evolve through the ages. So maybe it's just that when you enter the industrial age in the game, it looks quote-unquote glorious because it is a game. Mm, yeah, no, oh, no, I get what you mean on this point. I get what you mean. You are of the world. You, you, you aren't the people being screwed over by industrialization. You are the one screwing them, basically. But on to happier topics. No, when no, definitely uh, not. If if yeah. that's a transition to the next track, then no, it's a horrible intergalactic war. Yeah, uh, things won't be won't be happy for a bit, folks. Uh, take it away. Uh. But it's okay, because it's mostly robots, and the, the story isn't really focused on their feelings or their conditions or whatever. It's more about the brutal battles, which incidentally is the name of this track. From Total Annihilation, first a fully three-dimensional RTS, an innovator in many aspects, and as far as the music goes, one of the things it brought up is that the most well-known uh, real-time strategy games at the time, uh, Warcraft and... Uh, well, Warcraft slash Starcraft and... Command and Conquer slash with Alert, uh, both had some excellent Excellent soundtracks, of course. But one of the way uh, Total Annihilation innovated in that department is by having a soundtrack split differently. There is no separate music between the arm and the core, which are the two factions. And in this way, the identities uh, kind of blend a little more. Like, sure, they, one is more artificial intelligence centric than the other, but ultimately they both fight with tanks and giant robots and the likes. However, it has ambient tracks, and it only really kicks up when you are actually in conflict. So like you have a calm music, because in real-time strategy games there is a fair amount of downtime as well. Uh, where you're just creating your unit, expanding your base, and it can be a bit jarring while you're doing this kind of maintenance to suddenly have something like uh, No Mercy from uh, No Don't Conquer that tries to find that goes da 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 and all you're doing is placing a power plant, you know? You don't have that risk here because if no action is going on, uh, you're just moving around with your commander, making units and the likes, you're going to have very ambient tracks from a little-known guy that never got recognized for 
is uh, well establishing an ambiance name Jeremy Soul. Never heard of him. But uh, when the conflict kicks in, when you actually, when your tanks are actually firing, when your giant robots are actually shooting like crazy, then it goes into one of the battle trucks. This being one of one of them, and it starts immediately with the and it keeps that energy all all the way. It uh, because it needs to. As long as it's playing, there's action going on. Even if it's an extended bombing session or the likes, there's something that the truck accompanies by design, by the way the truck is integrated in the game, which means they can afford to go for something more uh, direct, more bombastic, more intense. Something that interested me uh, quite a bit with this this track in particular uh, brutal battle Uh, i was basically comparing it in my head to other works by by so that i'm familiar with which is mainly um legend of evermore on the snes was his first secret of evermore first game secret of evermore right and uh his most recent work in most elder scrolls games and I was trying to figure basically what made this track different from his uh, work on those franchises that I'm familiar with because it has a very different feel to it and I think it's not the genre despite this being very different from RPGs obviously but this sort of huge battle you could have in those games as well as a boss thing well to a degree yes but i think it's the setting that really drives uh the sound here yeah. because it's a lot of horns and brass and the sound of brass since we're familiar with those instruments at least to me it instantly brings to mind the image of metal in general which fits very well with the game that's well, so well robot. that so well that in fact the uh, missions that I mean metal is one of the two main resources in the game and uh, eventually through the campaign you go through a set of contested star sectors eventually ending in the core sector from the enemy faction so if you play in core you're eventually attacking the large planets uh, of arm and when you play as arm, you're eventually attacking the main planets of core, which are entirely made of metal. Which means you can place uh, metal extractors, which is one of those, anywhere on the map instead of on specific nodes, which is pretty overpowered. That does sound very overpowered. And I think it would be very, very weird, let's say, if we were to listen to to play those sections and the soundtrack was more uh string instruments and you know violins and cellos which you can still make combat music with them but it would be very weird in Mm. in that setting to me at least well there's another track that's mostly strings at the start but 
then the drums uh, happen as well and make a complete ensemble that's meant to evoke really a space opera feel because it's on that scale as well so it goes yeah future uh, and space opera uh, in stone which is a distinct kind of sound but i won't delve too much in the detail because we will eventually do a space episode space but this track would fit even if you're mostly fighting on planet Now then, shall we talk about uh, our Rise of Nation games for a change? Yeah, we, we haven't talked enough about that franchise. And I, I might, might be a fan. Well, anyway, uh, the next game then is... Uh, it's called, technically, the full title is uh, Rise of Nations. Uh, colon Rise of Legends. It was meant as a, a spin-off game, but it has the same composer. So we're talking about Dwayne Decker again. Uh, as a small <laughs> aside, if it weren't for the original Rise of Nations uh, title, Rise of Legends in isolation is at least top 10 on the most generic possible video game names ever. Pretty I've, much. If yeah. It would fit uh, an MMO, it would fit an RPG. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. It, it would fit so many gacha games. Oh boy, so many. And then they can have also Legend of the Rising and Legend Comb Rising. Oh lord, lordy lord. Uh, yeah, I don't get at least was... a good game and I do snatch this. It is a good game, right? Uh, I think it's a good game, but I don't think the general public seems to think because contrary to every other Microsoft RTS, this one hasn't received a re-release. So who knows? Good time. It's a very strange game, I'd say. Uh, it's another of those uh, asymmetric RTSs like, uh, like StarCraft, like Warcraft 3, where the factions are very different. While Rise of Nations had a lot of factions for a lot of nations, this one has exactly three factions. Mm -hmm. the, the tracks we're talking about are about one of them, but let me introduce the other factions first to get a, an idea for the world of the game. Let us see, let us see. So, uh, the main faction, which is quote-unquote, the humans, even though everyone is human, uh, is the Vinci, which are a faction of heavily industrialized people who deal with clockwork robots and technology inspired by those drawings of tanks and helicopters that Leonardo da Vinci did, hence the name. The name? Uh, there's an, a faction of uh, essentially brainwashed people uh it's kind of kind of uncomfortable kind of uncomfortable because it's uh aesthetically like the aztec empire except less colorful and the name is quota so 
even more Aztec, which is basically aliens fell to the ground, uh, their tech looks like magic, and they became worshipped as gods. So, hey. a, bit, a bit awkward that the Native Americans get this faction, but anyway. And then there's the third faction, which we will talk about, which is called the Sawu, which is essentially what if the 1000 Arabian Nights were all aspects of a single society and that society was a playable faction in an RTS. So you have mostly humans, but you also have genies and uh, weird magic, and they're basically the one faction with actual well, magic in the game. Magic you are unfamiliar with as a South American. Yeah, fair enough. At least in, in the game, I think they're a bit more out there compared to the Arabian, Ar Arabian Nights. I can't speak. But yet... Uh, hey, some of these tales can get wild. Yeah, they, they can. Mythologies, in general, can get very weird. Uh, but yeah, the, the faction is very Arabic. Uh, in their aesthetic, though you wouldn't necessarily notice it from the soundtrack, I don't think. You definitely notice it from the soundtrack. Like, the start when it goes, it's very much, hello, you are in a desert level, would you like some directions? It's, it was either that or some oud. I suppose, though, I personally don't usually think of the clarinet as an instrument for the desert, but it fits well enough. It's more desert mystery. Fair enough. But the, the main point, the main reason I, I decided to bring the game up is... Because you're like... The game... And the second best reason, because... Yeah. The first one is I like really like the soundtrack, but yeah, it it works really well with uh, light motifs for its civilizations. Uh, there's some some generic tracks as well uh, in the soundtrack, but in general, uh, it revolves around the three factions, and each of them has I think I think three or four tracks that play uh, during actual gameplay, mm -hmm. and. A couple of them are also playing the results screen at the end of, of play. And each so again, track... we're doing with music that mainly, but not exclusively, helps cement the identities of the different factions you're playing. Pretty much. I think you can get uh, music from other the other factions on occasion, but it's been ages since I last played the game. I, I'm not entirely sure. But it mostly stick hmm. to your faction's uh, soundtrack and to some generic songs. Uh, most of those generic pieces were actually inspired by a previous track used in Rise of Nations that the producers hmm. enjoyed a lot. But anyway, the, the faction-specific tracks usually come in uh, three main flavors, which are Everything is fine, and you're just building up, which um, in the game files, the, the tracks don't have uh, final names. You 
we only go by the the names they have in the game files. So those ambient ones are called the economic tracks, as in you're dealing with the economy of the faction. Yeah, you're doing macros, essentially. Yeah, there's the also the winning tracks, which are when you're in combat and are winning. Uh, and they also play in the results uh, screen if you won the, the game. Mm-hmm. And there's the losing tracks, which I don't know when they play. I have no idea. Hmm. Maybe yeah, when they, they... they play. Nah, that wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, they, they play when, when you're losing. Essentially, if you lost a city or you're starting to lose a district of a city, uh, the sad, ominous tracks start to kick in uh, on the results screen if you lost the, the match. But the cool thing I have is a uh, cool thing uh, I have to talk about is the use of uh, motives in, in the soundtrack. Uh, I've shared two soundtracks from the, the Sawu uh, faction, which are on the episode's playlist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and both of them have the same intro, but in different instruments. And maybe in different scales, I'm not sure. I'm not that deep into music theory. But uh, I know the losing track uses a minor scale. So it's a, a mostly minor chord. Things are dire. Yeah, and it actually goes uh, lower uh, in the um, the spectrum, let's say. It uses lower, more bass-heavy sounds. Uh, but, but I love the, the the amount of uh, things you can do with the same note, essentially. But changing the instrumentation or maybe tweaking the tempo just a little bit. Uh, because both of those tracks, despite uh, starting with the exact same notes, I think, one of them really feels much more relaxing. While the other very much is that bombastic you are winning with a lot of brass again. I think brass is the theme of the day here. Uh, so it goes from the, the soft clarinet going, oh, you're in the desert, you're exploring and building up and dealing with, you know, building your city and that sort of stuff. And then you're in battle and winning and it goes through the bombastic trumpets and and brass section going yes you're a hero basically you're winning the war or not the same notes just a variation on on them that reminds me uh, a little bit behind the curtain uh we had originally a plan to do a tactical rpg episode were gallon there and one of the games and the tracks I wanted to talk about has a similar feel because uh, so it's in a in Fire Emblem Awakening and the idea is that when you're commanding your units from top down uh, the track has a pretty uh, calm involved but exploratory feeling and when you actually get in the battle cutscene uh, you're getting uh, the track the tracks blend together essentially and this one goes into something that's obviously very similar, but 
way more intensified and i had this mental image of essentially uh the orchestra playing having the same note but the conductor goes from just uh, guiding very cleanly to going completely uh, yes go give me that and making wild thing motions or whatever it conductors do and according to what you're saying it's a similar situation there uh, that's what I get from it, at least. Uh, I think the composition does change a little bit, but the, yes, at least the, the civilizations, the, the factions motif at the start, it doesn't, doesn't change all that much. Uh, at least with these two tracks, with the uh, losing version, it's different, it's much uh, more bass-heavy, and much, obviously much darker in tone, so probably the composition swapped a little bit and moved to a, uh, a minor scale or something like that but uh, that's basically the mantra for all three factions all, all uh, three of them have have that uh, that dynamic the formula yeah uh, the, the Saur just basically the the one where I like it the most I think uh, the differences are more more obvious uh, the Kuotl in particular are they they are kind of ominous in all three versions because they are the evil guys in the main story, so they are always ominous. Just you are winning, so it's less ominous. You are losing now. Things are very, very, very base heavy. And the Sawu they kind of have both good and evil guys in the gameplay itself. You have. Uh, the Jin as a character, and it's basically evil in the game. Entire kind, all Jins are, are kind of at least mischievous, or at worst, they are straight up evil. So you get the more, uh, the more, or the most dynamic variations, I'd say, with them. Hmm. Speaking of something being dynamic. Command and Conquer. Yeah, that's basically the point of why I brought up uh, this song. Uh, not just because the track itself is very uh, guitar-heavy and animated, but because it represents, uh, to a similar degree, in a way, to the tracks you brought up, uh, the culminations of elements of previous tracks. The combination of them. Because you have on one end uh, what we've established uh, the RTS soundtrack can represent, which is faction identity. Like in the human track, or like in the fact that Sau has a leitmotif. And here they picked uh, music genres. So you have... Uh, uh, different uh, main music themes uh, when you are playing as the Allies or the Soviets or the Empire of the Rising Sun. Uh, because yes, it's Red Alert 3, so they went back in time and eventually led to a hyper-robotized uh, imperialist Japan. Uh, and so... They have a very uh, futuristic soundtrack uh, with 
lots of scenes and lots of uh, a, a bit of a ghost in the shell vibe uh, on purpose as well. Uh, meanwhile, the uh, Soviets have very much an industrial rock feel to their uh, tracks uh, of that type. As for the uh, Allies, they went with uh, just full-on uh, hard work. And the track is named Rock and Oak which is an obvious play on shock and awe tactics, but with more rock to it, because that's the one of the elements of the identity they imprinted to the allied faction in the episode. It's not the neutral faction, it's not the default faction again. It has its tone, and it's very, we're going to bring the justice to the entire world, whether they want it or not. Oh yeah, now bomb that entire continent. I mean, the, the entire thing with that game is sort of that there's no good guys. No, oh, absolutely. The history changed so everyone's a bunch of pricks and no one is good, but everything's so cheesy. The yeah, actors are so it cheesy. Would be, it would be crazy if history changed so that there were bad guys in power. Oh boy. Uh, but yeah, Please go on with the music, I don't want to cry. Uh, so, I said it was a combination, because it's not just at the matter of the faction being there, it's also that they brought up uh, what was already the case in uh, Total Annihilation, which is the change of music depending on uh, whether or not action is going on. That is, and that they have an internal way to track it, which is even integrated in gameplay. Essentially, as the commander, you have occasionally powers uh, that you can use, uh, which are things like a Soviet magnet satellite that can bring a tank to outer space and then make them crash on other enemy units. Uh, you can deploy micro drones to set up shields and the likes. And I love, uh, I I love the 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 idea of the space magnet so over the top. It fits the game so well. Absolutely. And uh, in this case, the way you charge it is that the more action is happening, uh, the more uh, the gauge charges up, giving you more and more upgrades on these ports. And uh, since they already have a way to track how much action is going on or, and whether you are macroing or being actively uh, inside of multi multiple engagements or defending uh, base harasses and the likes, uh, they also have a way to track it for the music and to go from the more calm tracks which generally are not faction segregated and instead uh, depend on the map you want. So in the campaign in particular, if you're playing in Paris, you suddenly have some accordion going on while you're setting up your, your base at first. Unfortunately, I don't think there's a, so a mission like in Weatherlight 2 where you could use the Eiffel Tower as a giant Tesla coil, but you do have secret hidden missile base in Mount Rushmore, so that's gonna count us. 
something. It's been so long. I need to play those those games again. Oh yeah, so funny. If you wanna play in co-op, fire fire that. But send me a call. I'm gaming. I have the games. Uh, I need to grab them. Last I played was the ages ago. Yeah. But yeah, basically it blended the ideas and reached this point where you have uh, the terrain and the land you're in expressed by default and the more the conflict escalates, the more it gets intense and expresses your faction's identity because in a way the more it gains, it becomes about you and the enemy and uh, you and the enemy throw in tanks at each other repeatedly until one of them gets crushed under the weight of the tanks. Or bombs or whatever is your preferred methods of armament. Well, it can even be uh, backdoor engineers for all I care. Completely down to earth. Exactly. Speaking of uh, things that are very concrete and down to earth, Age of Mythology. And our segues are on point today. Right. So yeah, if if anyone listened to this thought, we were not going to bring up the Age of Empires franchise. Here we are. Uh, the entire franchise actually has a bunch of composers. Uh, the the three main Age of Empires games released thus far actually have uh they had the original soundtrack remastered once uh they got the definitive edition versions and a new composer came in so there's a lot of composers working on this on this franchise and they are basically the culmination of the whole uh the song plays according to what's happening i'd say because they all are known for those peaceful tracks, those peaceful ambient tracks. And then when you start attacking a castle or a city, things go wild and very... I will admit mean. I do not remember that. But it's been a while. Honestly, the only track I remember from any Age of whatsoever game is the main menu theme from Age of Empires 2 going... That's, I think that's the main theme for the the franchise in general. Uh, minus Age of Mythology, uh, except which it's is very, more of a side game. A very yeah, good one. yeah. Uh, it it is included in the game as a joke. Uh, you have those taunts in the game. I press a combination of numbers, and it says a thing, plays a sound. Mm-hmm. And if you play, if you type nine nine nine. It plays a comedy version of the Age of Empires theme, nice. which is very annoying, very very annoying. The sounds are actually uh, a guy, a very high pitched voice going. This is R- RTS three because it came after Age of Empires two, which was the third RTS game in the franchise. Uh, that's a fun fact for you because you cannot understand what the person is saying in that sound. It is very weird. Uh, but yeah, Age of Mythology in particular, I think, is the one where those uh, dynamic tracks 
are more common. I am not entirely sure how often they play in the previous games. Uh, I don't think they were a part of the first Age of Empires at all, especially since it came out uh, the same year of uh, Total Annihilation. I will but. also say regarding the track in particular you've uh, uh, offered, which is named Adult Swim, no relation, uh, is uh, that it does carry in its instrumentation of uh, pinched strings that give immediately a more antique feel, which is fitting, because it's about monsters and heroes in ancient times. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, for the record, the entire soundtrack has weird, weird, weird titles. I think another of the more uh, peaceful times tracks is uh, titled Eat Your Potatoes, if I recall correctly. Uh, oh, sorry. Has... You, you call that weird soundtrack names? I'm sorry, I only listen to Sawano. I mean, one of the tracks is also called If You Can Use a Doorknob. Okay, uh, example of a Savano soundtrack name. Give me just a moment. Oh boy. There we go. How about Z10B2R0I1E2F0I9N1G3 briefing. That reminds me of Kijan Church. Kinda, yeah. Age of Mythology uh, track titles are more weird for where they're placed, I, I'd say. Because it has a, a title theme that's very glorious, you know, it's kind of trying to invite that feel of you are dealing with the gods, you are dealing with mythical creatures, yeah. Zeus is in the cover of the cover art of the game, and the title track, the, the track that plays in the main menu, it's called A Cat Named Mittens. Yeah. Uh, it, it's weird. But the main track, uh, I... Uh, I think of when I think of the game is uh, Adult Swim, which is the track I I brought, uh, and it's it's the one on our playlist. And uh, if there's anything I can say negative about it, is that it kind of feels like the game does have a main faction, which is the Greeks, as it has a very Greek Mediterranean sound. Yeah, and in in fact the the first expansion to the game is about more Greeks. <laughs> that is, it, it adds a new faction, but rather than the uh, fourth faction being a new a new uh, folk tale, a new mythology, it's uh, the Atlantis. Titans. Yeah, it's Atlanteans, and their gods are the Titans. Yeah. So more Greek. So it does kind of have a main faction, quote unquote, especially as our hero in the main campaign is a Greek uh, dude. Yeah, uh, in this situation, correct me if I'm wrong, but the soundtrack is not segregated by faction then. Uh, if I recall correctly, no it isn't. I think okay. uh, the map plays more of a part, 
uh, than yeah, the Yeah, I figured as much, like, if you're playing in a desert map, you're going to hear things that would naturally fit the uh, Egyptian faction, but uh, it's map-dependent, but okay. It's yeah, probably uh, map-dependent, to be safe. Yeah, not, not entirely map-dependent, because you do get some tracks uh, playing in every map. I think Adult Swim is one of the the big tracks in my memory, because it can play in basically every map after a while, I think. Huh? And I think uh, when the match starts, you get a jingle that is uh, uh, faction-dependent. But I might be wrong on that. My no, memory is not the best. <laughs> but uh, Age of Empires in general has always uh, been pretty good at uh, building the, the ambience, I'd say, in those, uh, those games. Uh, from uh, I haven't played the first Age of Empires, but the second Age of Empires has a very uh, sort of medieval feeling to it. It's very well, brutal. yeah, it goes from the Dark Ages to the Imperial Age. That's part of the gameplay. Yeah, and uh, and the, the soundtrack feels very fitting to that. Uh, Age of Mythology is sort of Bronze Age inspired, but more grand, because it involves because, the gods. Yeah, there's a fantasy aspect to it. And Age of Empires 3 has uh, full orchestras and uh, marching band sounds uh, like you would hear uh, from uh, military uh, groups. You have those uh, small uh, drums that they would yeah. carry to battle, flutes and all that stuff. So uh, it's a franchise that has always been pretty, pretty good at uh, uh, creating a sense of ambiance and really putting you in the setting that the game that takes place in. Why and... did it last it anyway? And I want to say that because there's of course something uh, that's permeating the topic of RTS in general, namely the fact that they are dead these days. They are. They were some of the biggest games, uh, at least of PC in particular, a while ago, and eventually they very much faded into obscurity. I think we can both agree on those accurate, historical, perfect facts. I think mostly MOBAs kind of took over as a sort of uh, it's more small than scale that. strategy. It is more than that. And it started before the MOBAs really took out. There are several culprits, but all basically piled up and killed the genre in a lot of ways. And the biggest culprits, I would say, are, paradoxically, the two main franchises on, of the genre. Because on one hand, you had uh, Command and Conquer, which evolved up to a point, and then Command and Conquer 4 happened, I don't think I need to say more. On that the, game does not exist. On the Blizzard side, I think 
the genre died because of something else that I mean first is indeed the branch uh, towards the MOBA but there's also the fact that with Warcraft 3 and Starcraft 2 they gave the impression that the genre was about personal stories and about uh, very um, yes, yeah, story rich, very diverse campaigns with high production values that not a lot of other studios could ever withstand. I think the closest that managed to do that were uh, Relic with uh, Dawn of War 2, where they basically went from a more classic RTS style in Dawn of War to, well, essentially four guys and a few uh, bits of entourage about uh, and making it more of a top-down RPG dressed as uh, an RTS in the line of the previous games Company of Heroes in particular uh, but basically you have these important derivations to the genre and what made the genre attractive for a lot of people. There's a reason why the factions uh, are one of the most common uh, kind of themes in the genre's music and that's because in a lot of ways factions are the characters, not the individual generals and heroes of those factions. Even in Age of Mythology there's not a Hercules theme, they're just a theme for Greekish lands because it's on that scale, and not zoomed in on heroes the way our Warcraft 3 or our Starcraft 2 was. And I think there's there's another level to, to things that kill the, the genre. Um, you, you say the, the two big franchises, uh, basically Warcraft and Command and Conquer, but Age of Empires was huge as well in the early 2000s. Age of Empires yeah, but then Age of Empires 3 came out and everybody hated it. Yeah, Age of Empires 3, uh, honestly, replaying it on the Definitive Edition, it's not that bad, but it had a big issue. Yeah, because there isn't Windows Games or Windows Live on it anymore, I think. Oh, there's that, but there's more than that. Uh, yeah. Age of Empires 3 had uh, a couple issues. Uh, to begin with, it was meant to be uh, a, another spin-off like Age of Mythology. Uh, hence the maps being smaller, uh, there's more focus on the combat rather than the uh, economy compared to Age of Empires 2 and Age of Mythology. Um, so it was forced to be treated as the spiritual successor to Age of Empires 2 when that wasn't the intention. Uh, but beyond that, the gameplay on the original release had you essentially had you essentially grinding uh matches to level up your your home city and unlock cards yeah there was to send shipments mechanics. yeah they yeah, made the, an RTS grindy yeah the the definitive edition has all cards unlocked from the start so you don't have to grind and all that so they they knew what was wrong there and fixed it but, yeah, because but, there's another aspect that is uh, uh, noteworthy, and it's 
this time almost solely on Blizzard, which is the heavy competitive aspect of the genre. Every RTS is, well, most of the RTS, to be safe, are made with uh, competition in mind at some level. But only StarCraft uh, in particular, Warcraft to a lesser degree, reached the competitive heights that basically invented the notion of esports in Korea. And, uh, and as a result, is, Age of Empires 2, ever yeah. since it uh, came back, it's kind of getting there. Yeah, uh, but it I, came I back know. after these two notions yeah. uh, were created, and they're still there, but they're not integral to the appeal of the genre to the broad public. A lot of people bought an RTS, played the solo campaign, thought they were. God at the game, even though they were terrible because they were playing on easy, and they were happy with that. And I think a lot of the genre's perception shifted in ways that made it less sustainable, which is how you get titles that are have tons of color, well, uh, from Tooth and Tail's competitive focus. Uh, with uh, crazy animals and streamlined gameplay where you directly lead in the troops guiding a singular avatar to things like the most recent Iron Harvest. They have a lot of good elements of uh, what... elements that the great art games of the genre had. But they don't really have some of the core gameplay of building up a base and trying to spindle your opponent if you have one to go in no rush for 15 minutes or whatever. And taking and uh, expanding in a very map-dependent way and maybe playing a map where both sides are in balance and then deciding, you know what, I'm going to look at the campaign. Not because of the deep personal story of that one hero unit that's going to be on half the map, but because of the progression of the faction represented in, by some characters in some cutscenes maybe, but overall at a grander scale. And yeah, there's a lot that got lost in translation, I think, over the years, and uh, as the people that were mostly gameplay-centric had an out in mobiles, which were literally created in an RTS map editor, we eventually kind of lost the genre, except on a historical level. And that sounds grim, the way I put it this way, but... I do have some hopes, in particular uh, in the fact that there's an Age of Empire 4 coming up. And I think, uh, to me in particular, a big point uh, that may have helped in uh, RTSs dying for quite a while is that uh, RTSs are sort of meant to be easy to, to get into a game. Uh, yeah. 
it's hard for the game to end. Sometimes it can last forever, but you can drop in and just by looking at the map, you can get idea, uh, an idea of how things work. Uh, yeah, exactly. In Warcraft, B build uh, your buildings, icons are flashed up, build more stuff, there you go. Yeah, and uh, for example, uh, Warcraft 1 and 2, both uh, factions played the exact same, and each unit was very unique, so you could tell this one was a caster, this one was... Uh, well, not the exact same, but uh, there were some differences. But, uh, yes, each faction had stage weapon rays and the fast units that evolved into casters and the like. They were similar, but not exactly the same. In Age of Empires, uh, I think another thing also is that, first of all, the the factions were real world factions, so you kind of join in with the expectations based on knowing uh, the history of that faction. For example, yeah. uh, the Spanish had a lot of uh, colonies in the Americas. So you kind of imagine, okay, they are going to be about gold, about trade, and about ships. That's exactly yeah, what they the are. the Turkish faction had a lot of focus on gunpowder heavy units. And they adjusted that by having one unique unit per faction, but then deactivating some units for some. Yeah, and uh, StarCraft also dealt with that thing that problem of having uh, things that are easily recognizable uh, despite having original factions by having them having very different and striking designs that yeah. kind of instantly tell you this faction is the guys with the guns you attack from afar this one is you are going to swarm because your units are very little and this one is the your units are bulky but expensive so use them wisely uh, yeah, that, that's the base. And on a competitive level, that completely falls into the water and things get very confusing and very specific. And if yeah. they're very confusing and very specific, they're not as marketable as what you just said. And I think uh, over time, uh, devs, I don't know if they didn't know how to deal with new technology or if they just kind of got lost in design or if it was executive uh, decisions but some uh, of the later rts's uh, that led to the death quote unquote of the genre they kind of weren't as uh, recognizable i'd say uh, the things the factions were good at uh, weren't as easy to understand uh, units in um, age of empires 3 for example they look a lot similar to one another like, there's a lot of guys with rifles. There's a lot of guys with yeah, of course. pistols. So it's hard to discern. Uh, Warcraft 3, while it like, didn't... Sure, you can discern to a degree, but not to the point where you can tell this is the cavalry, this is the archers, these are the footmen. Even if you can, uh, at least in, uh, let's say... Age of Empires 2, you have the the archer that attacks um I believe cavalry and the archer that attacks 
other archers and you can tell them apart more or less <clears throat> sorry you can tell them apart more or less because the one that attack cavalry has the more powerful weapon which is the crossbow the one that attack archers is attacking guys with a very little armor and has to defend from afar so it has a spear and a shield the shield yeah. blocks the arrows so there is a visual element that helps you at least exactly. distinguish a little S bit. Same with future games. Uh, in uh, StarCraft 2 in particular, uh, if you want to fight off a swarm of Zerglings, maybe the guy with the flamethrower is the way to go. Turns out, yes! Pretty much. Uh, but then you have, like, uh, Command Conquer 4, I think it's not that easy to distinguish them. Uh, you have Fall is uh, not an RTS almost. It's an always online experience that's now dead and that tried to go half mobile, half persistent game and bastardized everything. And uh, I hate it with a passion and I have a personal grudge for people that let it devolve the way it did. I couldn't tell. Um... But yeah, uh, Age of Empires 3 is the other big one where that, that lack of distinguishing factors exists. Uh, also, honestly, 1700s warfare like kind of boring. Maybe just me, but even with things like Total War, Napoleon and Empire Total War never caught my interest. Rome, Shogun, yeah, let's go. Empire, Napoleon. I wouldn't say it doesn't catch my interest, but I do see myself uh, when I play, I only play against the AI, uh, Age of Empires 3, I don't play it uh, in PvP, but every time I play I end up just having a huge army of uh, musketeers and absolutely no other military unit, and it's not because they are overpowered, there is a very well-crafted balance in that game as with the other Age of Empires games but that's kind of the aesthetic of the, the age when you think of battles around that time you think of things like the American Revolution and you yeah. think of guys with red or blue coats with muskets so there's a lack of variation in there as well exactly. and I, I think, think uh, things might improve uh, StarCraft 2 already uh, was a start, but not many studios followed suit. Yeah, the problem with StarCraft 2 wasn't that it was a bad game, it was an excellent game and an excellent RTS. But not everyone can make a StarCraft 2, especially if you take the campaign into account. And especially, especially if you take into account that each campaign is its own full press game at release. Yeah, it was, it was so big they had to release it as three games essentially and not every yeah, studio it, can do that it, it was going to make them so much money they could release it at three games more like but that's another yeah, that too. The, the point of uh, all of this is that um, it's not a grim point about, about how this or that uh, made a mistake it sounds a lot like this at times but the main point is uh, a message of hope regarding 
uh, what I've seen so far of uh, Age of Empires 4 that's releasing later this year because it's a well-known franchise that's returning to something that people have known and enjoyed in the past, essentially the same era as Age of Empire 2, but with more distinct factions. They're scaling down the number of factions a little to make them more distinct. They're focusing on the story of the different nations and camps rather than on individual people. And I think that can work very well. I think it fascinates me that they're basically taking pretty much the exact same setting as uh, Age of Empires 2, but they're using uh, modern technology to do things that they actually kind of wanted to do for uh, Age of Empires 2, but couldn't. Yeah, exactly. And they so, can afford uh, to retread that ground because we haven't really had any impactful RTS since StarCraft 2. That and uh, Age of Empires 2 uh, has gotten a huge competitive scene in the last three or so years. Uh, if I recall yeah, correctly, yeah, but that's a remake. Kinda, kinda not. Uh, it, it was and besides, going on I'm even not talking the... about the competitive scene. I'm talking about broader people. Sure, sure. Uh, I, I, I do think that the Part of the appeal, of course, the, the gameplay was a bit dated, but there was the whole uh, YouTube aspect. Uh, the, the gameplay wasn't dated. The gameplay was the original game, because that's what it was. And it's fine. It's, that, that's the point. Building bases, making units, and sending them the way of the opponent never really got old. The game veered away in other ways, that's all. My point isn't, isn't that, it's that uh, while Age of Empires 2, uh, it's, uh, it's specific mechanics, like uh, farm receding, for example. Your farms would die and you had to receive them by paying a bit of wood. That is a bit outdated to us now, so uh, of course. They did fix it on the Definitive Edition, but even before the Definitive Edition, there was a lot of attention already going to Age of Empires 2 again. Part of it was nostalgia, I, I think. Part of, of it was, but were, there wasn't any game in the genre. There's that, there's the, the nostalgia, because people who originally played it as kids are now people in their 30s and 40s who finally have uh, extra income that they can spend on gaming. Uh, so they are interested in these things. Uh, part of it is the memes, honestly. Uh, a meme video by uh, a caster called T90 got Never over a, he got over a million views by casting a match Who in does? a joke map. Uh, so that kind of helped the game come back as well, which then led to the HD version and now the definitive edition. And Age of Empires 4 as well. I'm not sure so, of that timeline. I, I think the video came after the HD version, but before the, the Definitive Edition. But in, in any case, uh, it helped yeah, um, improve the, the, the perception, I would say. 
I think there's going to be a lot of that conversation that I go that is going to get cut. Because much. like right now we are past uh, 140, so maybe we should wrap it back up to uh, music and then wrap up the episode. Fair enough. So let and me think of a good way to return to the music. I By taking the safe point of Edge of Empire 4, maybe? I have an idea. Okay. Uh, but yeah, uh, with Age of Empires 4 coming up and other games by other studios, uh, lots of RTS developers broke off from Blizzard and opened their own studios. Uh, hopefully yeah, hopefully but... we, we will have uh, a return to these uh, great soundtrack traditions. I'm sure we can expect at least the, the great ambient and uh, civilization-based tracks from Age of Empires to show up in Age of Empires 4. Hopefully the other um, smaller studios can do something similar as well. Also, Frank Klepaski is still working. He even composed for an RTS, AB Tommy's. There you go, so... Hopefully... Didn't with take all off. That... So that's why it didn't take off, though. So that's kind of why we want... Uh, some of the the games in this genre back as well because they offer a unique texture of music that can be dynamic and that can express the consciousness and the identity of a whole lot of people and not an individual person or an individual play and i think that's something that i've been missing a lot from my soundtrack environment and I think they also represent really well uh, player interaction, uh, especially the ones with more dynamic soundtracks that vary according to what you're doing. It really yes, I would call shooting a tank shell across somebody's base an interaction. Yes, uh, but they they really showcase the 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 player's ability to change things, even if. By destroying it's them. just in the song. Yes, by just... Why do you need to undermine my points? Anyway. Hopefully we'll see something, something cool in the horizon and Age of Empires 4 is coming up in October, if I recall correctly, so yes. not too far away. Unless oh. it's delayed. Don't say that. Fingers crossed. So, we'll be leaving on a hopeful note for the near future. That's it for today, folks. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully Galen will be able to edit this. Sorry, Galen. Uh, anyone interested in the tracks we've talked about, most of them can be found in the playlist linked in the episode description. And you can talk to us, send your feedback, or say that we are very very wrong by emailing us at music.rk.podcast at gmail.com and we'll see you next time hopefully with our producer along see ya <laughs>